I, you know, I pastored 22 years, and it was, a, it was an amazing thing. I mean, it, uh, you know, we, did, we were able to grow a church, and some of you know what it was like to be in the REACH campaign. And for the last 10 years that I pastored in North Carolina, we were in four capital campaigns over 10 years every day. We were growing pretty fast, and, and we were buying some properties, and, and we were building buildings. And so literally from 1990 to 2000, when I left, we were in a capital campaign every single day. And some people say, well, you can't grow a church when you're in a capital campaign because you're asking for money, not if you know how to do it right. Because from 1990 to 2000, in a city with a population of 20,000 people, we went from 500 people to over 2,000 in our weekend services, 6,000 people that called it their church home. And so we know that when, you, when, when you've got a, a dream of what God wants to do in a community, that kind of stuff is not going to hold you back. And I know that God's got a great dream for this place. I'm excited because I've had an opportunity to be behind the scenes. I've never, uh, I've never met more than a few of you, Denny and some of you. Uh, but uh, I've been a part of this thing. When I first started coming here, Pastor, five years ago, I think the church probably was like 250, maybe 300 on a great Sunday. And now you've gone past 1,000. You've gone right up to 1,100. And, and just some amazing things are happening around here. And so I'm really excited to be a part of this tonight. Uh, as Pastor said, I've, you know, over the years I've had opportunity to work with Jacob Arenz and Steve Robinson and some of the other, Todd Schumacher and some of those guys that are in the family of churches. And, and so it's a real honor to uh, be a part of this tonight. And when I think about how you guys have grown here, Denny, what I know is this, is that just sitting in that room with you guys is that um, I believe the reason this church has just kind of exploded over the last few years, two or three years, is I really believe that that uh, pastor and his team here has such a clear understanding of God's vision and God's dream and God's plan for OSC. I think, you know, what I've seen with a pastor is a determination to stay on what it is that God's called him to do and what he's made him to be in this community. He hasn't ventured out to do this or to do that. I'm going to tell you, sometimes, guys, the most spiritual thing you can do is learn to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. That's what borders do for you in your life. When you have some borders in your life, it helps you to say no to the wrong opportunities. When I was pastoring in North Carolina, we had a man in our church that had a whole big production team. And he had, he had these video trucks and all this stuff. And he said, Pastor, I want to put you on TV and we can get airtime for nothing. And honestly, after praying about it, I just said no. It really hurt his feelings. But the reason I said no was is simply because I didn't think that was God's plan for what he wanted us to do in our community. In fact, I thought the last thing the world needed was another TV preacher, to be quite honest with you. And so I said, no, sometimes, friends, when you grab a hold of the vision of God, what it helps you to do, when you get great clarity with it, it will help you to say yes when the right opportunities come, but it also allows you to say a spiritual no to the wrong things when they come into your life. And there's nothing wrong with saying no. Sometimes it is the best thing you will do for you and for your family. Now, here's what I know. This church has a lot of vision. You know, the Bible says somewhere, I, I, I don't read the Bible much anymore, but I know, I'm just, I'm, ki I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Don't look at me like that, okay? The Bible says this, 
where there is no vision, people perish. Friends, I want to tell you something. Around this place, there's no chance that people are going to perish. Because this place has a lot of vision. Uh, in fact, you got so much vision and so many great dreams and so many great plans for the future of this place. If God doesn't show up, man, you are just in the tank. Because the dreams and the vision that God is giving to your leadership, and I know that they are just sharing with you, it is so big that you can't accomplish it on, on your own. You're not that good. If God doesn't show up, you're in the weeds. And so here's what I know tonight. There's some things I want to talk to you about that I believe can help you in this kind of this determination, this obedience that I see in, in pastor and that I see in the other campus pastors around this place. And I believe when we grab a hold of this and understand what it is to, to own vision and get this determination that I've seen in pastor through health issues, through the church when it was kind of sluggish and through financial issues and through growing pains, I see that determination in him. And when we grab a hold of that and understand the vision and all that God wants us to do and all that he wants us to be, I'm going to tell you, friends, the miraculous can happen in this place. How many of you believe that? The miraculous can happen in this place. In fact, that's, that's kind of part of what I, I want to say to you tonight, that I truly believe that God has a dream that is so big for your life. I believe that God has a plan that is so big for your life in 2018 that if he doesn't show up, there's no way it will ever come to pass. God has to come and do what he wants to do in your life. And so tonight, I just want to share with you what I believe is some keys, five keys to success in 2018. Now, when I Put that title together. I'm not real big on titles. I'm more, big, I'm more uh, interested in content. I'm no, I know somebody probably think in 2018, uh, Sauls, did you forget that we're already one month into 2018? You're kind of getting here sort of late. Now, here's what I know statistically. By February the 1st, 95% of New Year's resolutions have been forgotten. And I can prove it experientially. When I went to my gym, LA Fitness, that's about one mile from my house, on the first week of January, you couldn't get on a bike there. You couldn't get up to the equipment. I mean, there were lines even for the leg press. And who wants to do leg press? You know? And right now, my knee screams when I do that. Week two, I walked in. There was a couple bikes open. I was able to get to a bike, kind of do your routine, and you can able to get a thing. Week three, you walk in, and you're thinking... Wow, where's everybody at? The next week, week four, last week I was there, I walked in. There was like me and one other lady on the bikes. Just us. And then I got around all the equipment. You know why? Because people start out and they have these dreams, these visions, these resolutions that they want to do. And one month into the process, because they didn't have a solid foundation, they weren't able to achieve or continue to have that determination that I see in pastor. They didn't have that determination to continue in the process. And so I want to just say to you tonight, even though we may be 93% into the year, it's not too late for you, even if you've already forgotten those resolutions. It's not too late. There's an opportunity even tonight 
in this first Wednesday service for us together to build a foundation to see all those other things accomplished. But those things don't happen until we get a solid and firm foundation on some things that God has for us in our lives. And so I want to share those things with you tonight. And I think when we get these things, what's going to happen is, all of a sudden, once you get these five foundational things in your life, I believe the blessings are going to start coming so quickly that they're going to overwhelm you. I think the church is going to take off This may be a prophetic word, I don't know. But I believe the church is going to take off and you are going to have a harder time keeping up with it than you do now. Let me tell you something about church growth. Right now, you're outpacing your money here at Our Savior's Church. That means as you're growing fast, when people come, their money tends to trail about six to nine months. And so you're taking care of more people than you really have the money to take care of right now. How many of you already knew that? You kind of look around and you think, how are we doing that? Yeah, Pastor and Tracy, I get it, right. That's a process that we all go through, friends. That, that as we grow, it seems like it kind of, we're always kind of chasing it. But I believe, really, with all my heart, guys, that if you can get these five principles I'm going to share with you tonight, if you can get it in your heart and if you can own it as a foundation, I really believe the blessings of God are going to start chasing you. The the writer of Proverbs says that the blessings will chase you. How many of you want to see some blessings chasing you down? Uh, Absolutely. In 2018, I want to see the blessings of God chasing me down. I think it can happen in such a miraculous way, friends, that we're just taken back by it. And so I want to start tonight, if you would, to take your Bibles, and if you have them with you, and I want you to turn with me to Amos, the ninth chapter. Amos chapter 9, I'm going to give you some background because if I just started right there, it wouldn't even be fair. So let me just talk to you a little bit and let me paint a picture for you just a moment of the people of God uh, in Israel at this time. In fact, we see it all through the book of Judges that there is what we call, there is this sin cycle that is part of the people of Israel. And what this sin cycle was is that Uh, they would be going along and everything would be great. And then they would begin to see the surrounding nations and all the idols that they were worshiping. And they're thinking, well, we're just worshiping one God. They've got a lot of gods. I think that would work for us. And before long, they would begin, Israel would begin to rebel against the things of God. After that, here's what happens. The second thing is this, that God then would turn from Israel and he would allow them to fall into the hands of their enemies. All these surrounding enemies, and they would come in and they would oppress them. And you see this all through the book of Judges. But you would see this pattern in Judges and through the prophets in the Old Testament. So the people would rebel, God would discipline them, and then third thing would happen then is that in that time of just despair, the people of God would begin to call out and ask God to help them. And so Israel would sin, they would fall into this idolatrous lifestyle, then God would come and he would uh, discipline them, and then they would uh, call out to God and Israel would repent, and then God, what he always did was he would send somebody, he would send a deliverer, he would send a prophet, he would send a judge to bring conviction to the people of God, and they would turn back to God. And we see that over and over and over again in the lives of the people of God. 
In fact, in one place, in, in uh, Judges chapter 2, it says that, that the anger of God burned at the people of Israel. In fact, it goes on to say that he turned them over to those nations that would plunder them in Judges chapter 2. And so we see this pattern with them over and over and over again of how they would uh, rebel. God would come in and he would discipline them. They would turn back and ask for help and then God would send a deliverer or a judge or a prophet and he, they would speak the word and then they would uh, return back to God and then they'd get in that cycle again. There's two things that are different here in the book of Amos. It's nine chapters long. And for the first eight and a half chapters of the book of Amos, here's what's going on. Here's what's different. In the past, God would raise up a prophet or he would raise up a judge and they would come and they would begin to rebuke the people of Israel. Now here's what happens in the story in Amos. Instead of rebuking the people of Israel, when Amos came on the scene, he was just a shepherd. People didn't think he really knew what he was talking about that much. But Amos got popularity really quick because rather than rebuking the people of Israel, you know what he did? He started out rebuking the enemies of Israel. He began to talk about their idolatry and their sinfulness. And he would say, woe unto you. And he would say things like, because of your sin, this is going to happen. Because of the, the immor immorality of leaders, this is what's going to happen. And so you can imagine the people of Israel got really excited with Amos. They were like, hey, pastor, you're preaching a great message this week. You know, it's kind of like when you come to church and pastor's preaching one of those messages and you're sitting there thinking, boy, I wish my wife was here today. You know, I, you know, I wish my boss was here today. Like, it, it doesn't affect me. You know, and so the people of Israel were excited. I mean, here they are. They've been the ones that have been rebuked by God over and over and over again. And now this prophet comes on the scene, and he is rebuking the enemy. Now, when you get into the book of Amos somewhat, when you get a chance to look at it, what you're going to find is, is that then he begins to rebuke the people of God. He wasn't so popular anymore. So that was a little different for him. And then, a little different twist with Amos. At the very end of Amos the ninth chapter, after eight and a half chapters of rebuking their enemies, the surrounding nations, these idolatrous nations, and then rebuking the people of God, he finishes with these words. I want you to look at this with me. In fact, we probably have it on the screen here. He says, In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent, or shelter, and I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. It's God that's going to do these things, okay? Let's go on here. The days are coming. Now, this is what I want you to see, guys. This is verse 13. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. He said things are going to start happening so quick that the reaper will be right up with the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine, new wine will drift from the mountains and flow from all the hills and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. Now here's what I want you to get. This is exciting. He's talking about the pace of blessings that they're going to see 
on the other side of this rebuke. If you would, I want to, I want to look at it in the message. I, I, just, it gets, I get really excited when I see this. Here's what it says. Things are going to happen so fast, your head will swim. I love that. Things are going to, the blessings of God are going to begin to chase you so quickly in 2018 that your head is going to swim. He says, one thing fast on the heels of the other. That should be one. You won't be, I got it right though. One thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once, and everywhere you look, what? Everywhere you look, what? Blessings. The blessings of God, like the the writer of Proverbs, the blessings of God are going to be chasing you down. He said, listen, it's going to change. Things are going to happen so quick that that the reaper is going to overtake the sower. And it's going to become so fast that it will make your head swim. Friends, what I want to say to you tonight is simply this. I really believe that in 2018 that there is a sense of what God really wants to do in people's lives that if you can grab a hold of these things that I'm going to give to you tonight, I really believe, friends, if you can get it in your spirit, if you can get it in your heart, If you can own these five things that I'm going to share, these are my five things of my life. This is kind of my life message. Not the book of Amos, but these five things that I'm going to share with you tonight. It's what drove me to write a book that I wrote back in in 2011. And shamelessly, it's on Amazon if you want to go get it sometime. It's called Journey. Uh, But I really believe if you get these things down, friends, I really believe your head is going to swim. I believe blessings are going to come so quick that you're going to think, I, I, you know, I can't even get this right. I mean, God's just doing some incredible things. And they're coming so fast that I just can't, I can't really understand. I can't get a hold of it. And it's just like blessings are coming from everywhere. How many of you like to see that in your life in 2018? I'm a candidate for that. I'm, I tell you, uh, everything, you know, today it was so hard to get here. Last Thursday... I, I got some devastating news about a tragedy just with one of my sons. And I'm going to tell you, Pastor just asked me the day before if I would speak. And I thought, man, I don't, I don't even know if I got the heart to speak. You know, and, and I'm just going through a very, very difficult time with one of my sons. And then it was so hard to get here. I thought, my goodness, God's got to be up to something in this room tonight. Because it has been tough just getting here and just getting myself in the mental place. But friends, I really believe if we can own these five things tonight, that we're going to see blessings and we're going to see favor and we're going to see victory and we're going to see joy and we're going to see healing. We're going to see God just bring prosperity to us, but I really believe it takes a foundation. And so I want to give you these things in the time remaining. In fact, i got to get to them because if I don't, we're going to run out of time. So here's the first thing tonight. Number one, you would. I think we have to rediscover God's vision for your life. And I use the term rediscover God's vision because I think sometimes we at one point in our life, maybe we had grasped God's vision for our life. Maybe we understand, uh, we could understand maybe somewhat of a picture of a preferred future that God had for us. But maybe over the time, with the things of life that just come at us, 
we've kind of lost what it is that God's called us to do and what he's made us to be. You see, sometimes we just have to think, you know, what is it that God has called me? Why, why, why did he put, even put me on the face of this earth? Why do I even exist? You ever wondered that? You know, why am I even taking up oxygen? You know, what, what is it, you know, that, that God put me here for? I was at a conference, I think it was about 1994-95, up in Chicago at Willow Creek Community Church. And there was a speaker that really captured my attention. I'm sitting there about three-fourths of the way back. I've got my whole staff with me from my church. I've got all my elders there. And this guy by the name of Jim Collins was speaking. Jim Collins had written this book, uh, Good to Great and uh, Built to Last, some of the great, great business books of our time. And he was speaking, and he said this statement. He said, if you've ever wondered why you're taking up space with 7 billion people on, the, on planet Earth, if you've ever wondered why you're there, he said, I challenge you to ask yourself this question. You might even want to write this down tonight. He said, ask yourself this question. If I no longer existed, what would my world miss? Corporately, if OSC and Jennings and Crowley and Eunice no longer existed, what would those communities miss? You see, friends, when you ask that question, you get real honest. I think you can begin to answer it in a way that you're going to discover why God put you here. It so impacted me that night, Pastor, when I was sitting there. I looked at my board, I said, uh, and all my staff, and I said, when we get back to the hotel, I want you to get a room, and we're going to get in that room, and we're going to answer that question, and we're not going to bed until we answer it. Why? And, and I was talking about our church back in North Carolina. I said, we're going to answer that question. If we no longer existed, what would our community miss? And I want to challenge you tonight. When you get home tonight or maybe early tomorrow morning when you're doing your devotion, would you pull this paper back out and say, you know, what is it that God put me here for? If I didn't exist, what would my family miss? What would my community miss? What would my church miss? And I think it will begin to give you a pretty good clue of why God put you here. And here's the thing. Over a period of time, sometimes we, we get that question answered. But after a while, like I mentioned earlier tonight, after a while, sometimes we grab that vision, but it begins to fade because of the things and the pressures of life. Even little things can cause the vision to fade. I want you to picture with me just a moment. I, I was raised in the city, but I'd love to go to my granddad's farm when I was growing up. And we used to have these old tin buckets about this big. And you could fill them with water, and you could carry those buckets around, and you could water things with those old. Anybody remember those old tin buckets? They were kind of shaped like that, and, and it had a little handle on the top of them. And you could put the water in it, and then you, or sand, or whatever you wanted to use. But as those buckets got a little age on them, sometimes they would get a little crack in the bottom. And when you put water in a bucket with a little crack in the bottom, what begins to happen? It leaks leaks. Friends, what I want to say to you tonight is simply this. Sometimes God fills us up with vision for our lives, and you think of that bucket as the container, as you, 
And what he's filling you with is passion. You see, passion is what drives vision. But as passion leaks, vision fades. Did you get that? As passion begins to leak out of your bucket, which represents just the things of life and, and the pressures of, of school or the pressures for young people's pressures of school or graduating, you know, education for adults, our jobs and our marriages and our kids, all those things. And as that hole gets a little bigger, the vision leaks or the passion leaks faster. And as it leaks, what happens is the vision that God has given to us begins to fade. Uh, if you would, just turn over to your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 29. If you don't have, have, have it or you can't find it quick, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to look at this right here. First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. You know, with vision as it is, you know, what happens is, is that you're continually having to refuel the vision with passion. If you remember uh, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he got this dream of going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the houses and rebuilding the, all the things that had been destroyed there in Jerusalem. And we know from history that it was a 52-day project. But you know what happened halfway through? In 26 days, Nehemiah had to come off the wall and he had to refuel the passion of the people of God so they could capture the vision of what God had given to them. Because you know what? Sand ballots are going to come along in your life. And they're going to steal the joy from your life. In the bucket, the hole gets a little bigger as we go along. And so we have to continually refuel it. And what we see here in, in chapter 29, verse 1, is King David. You remember this story? You guys read the Bible around here? Do you use the Bible? Okay. Uh, in chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles, we have this story of King David. And King David had this real dream, this vision that God had given to him to rebuild or, or to build a temple for the, what we consider the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God. And that's what we see here. He says, uh, then David, he gets up and he getting, he's getting from the whole assembly. This is the leadership of Israel. He says, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. He says, listen, this was my dream. I wanted this to happen. It's been on my heart to do this. He said, but, you know, I, God reminded me that I was a man of war and that I had blood on my hands. Remember that story? And he says, so... I'm not going to be able to do it. But God has called my son Solomon to do this thing. He said, but he's young experienced. I'm going to come alongside of it. Get these four words. Underline them. The task is great. Can I tell you, whenever God puts a dream or a vision or a plan in your heart, it is always great. It is never going to be easy. You're not just going to fall out of bed in the morning, morning and accomplish the things that God has for your life. He said, the task is great. Notice this. He said, because this palatial structure is, for man, is not for man, but for the Lord God. It's not about a man's plan. It's about God's plan for man. He's casting vision for the presence of God that would be represented by the Ark of the Covenant in this permanent place. It had burdened his heart. In fact, if you just back up one chapter... Into chapter 28, verse 2, here's what David says. 
It says that King David, that he rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. Get this. I had it in my heart. Just stop. Friends, that's passion. You see, passion, chapter 28, always precedes vision. Because it is passion that drives the vision. He said, I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. You know what? In one translation, it said it like this. David, it says that he rose and he said, It is burning in my heart to build a permanent place for the presence of God. Can I ask you something tonight, guys? What is it that is burning in your heart these days? What is it that keeps you awake at nights? What is it that gets you up in the mornings? What is it that's burning in your heart? You see, that is the passion that God takes to drive the vision that he has for you. Friends, if you don't get this tonight, listen, you don't have this foundation of what God wants to do in your life in 2018. Here's the second thing that, that you've got to get. You've got to grab hold of this tonight and own it for yourself. I can't own it for you. Pastor can't own it for you. Pastor Josh can't own it for you. You've got to get this. Not only do you have to rediscover God's vision and dream and plan for your life and own it and get it into your heart, but number two, you've got to resurrender. Do we have it? You've got to resurrender. Here's your word. Everything to God. You've got to resurrender everything to God. Now, I, I put a word here when I did this that you're not going to find in Webster. It's the word resurrender. You won't find it. But here's what I know. I know about humans. Just as vision or vision fades because passion leaks, what I do know is this is that when we came originally to the altar, however you did it, maybe some of you got on your knees beside your bed, maybe some of you came here, maybe some of you were at an old Baptist church and a pastor gave a, uh, an invitation, you came forward. But at that moment, you came forward and you said, God, it's all on the altar, right? Probably, maybe that night, the choir sang, I surrender all. You know, you sing maybe 16 verses of just as I am, or I surrender all, or, you know, all the thee I now surrender, I surrender. God, it's all yours. But what I know about us is this. The things that we put on the altar originally, we often go back and take it back off the altar because we think we can do a better job with it than God. And God says to us, if you're going to hold that with a clenched fist, you're on your own. But if you'll open your hand, I'll take care of it. You see, friends, I'm going to tell you, finances and money, I never had a problem getting it on the altar. When I was a little boy, my dad, Denny, taught me the principle of 10-10-80. He said the first 10% goes to God. The second 10% you pay to yourself. In other words, you save. And then the other 80%, you ask God for wisdom on how to spend it. And so from the time I was a little guy, I got the issue. I got the understanding, the discipline in my life, the tithing. Money, finances have never been a struggle for me. But I want to tell you 
there's been times that I thought I had a better plan for my boys than God did. Come on, don't look at me like that. I'm not the only unspiritual person in this room tonight. And so I would go back to the altar, and I'd take my boys off the altar, and I'd say, I've got a better plan for them. You know, I, you know, my oldest son, I'm, we're going through some struggles with him right now, but I know that he's got the call of God on his life. I know he's kind of running from it. And, you know, I really believe that God probably has a real call for him in missions, but he's not going to ever be daddy called. I would never tell him that. I'll tell you, but I won't tell him because I don't really want him to do that. He's been with me all over the world He's been with me all over Asia. I've taken him on missions trips everywhere, and he just fits in anywhere we go. I'm telling you, he goes, and people just are attracted to him. No matter what they put in front of him, we were in the Philippines one time at Baguio City. They took us to a place, and they put dog stew in front of us, and we just ate Scooby-Doo up. And he just, he just, he had no, he had no problem. In fact, he wrote a song called The Ballad of Scooby-Doo on the airplane coming back to the United States. He has no problem. But friends, you know, sometimes I think I've got a better plan for him than God does. You know, I really would like to see him, you know, move about two or three houses down from me, give me about three grandkids, and let me spoil them to get back at him for what he's done to me. You know? I'm only 38. I just look this way. You know? He did it to me. You know? And so sometimes we put these things on the altar, but then we come back and grab them. I've got a friend of mine, he lives in Johns Creek, which is not too far from where I live. And some years ago, he had a condition with his hand, and it wasn't, it wasn't carpal tunnel, but his, literally his fingers were clo- closed tight like that. And so he, they finally decided they were going to have to do surgery. And so he went, and they gave him a local anesthetic to do the surgery. And when he was sitting in the room that day, he said the doctor went in. He didn't do anything to his fingers. He said he went up at his wrist. He made a little cut. And when he hit something there, his hand went. It just opened right up. And sometimes, friends, what we need is for God to just come in and do a surgery on us. So that we go from this clenched fist holding on, whether it's your finances, whether it's your career, whether it's your kids like me. Whatever it is that you're holding with a clenched fist tonight, friends, I encourage you. Would you allow God by his Holy Spirit to come and just do surgery on your wrist until your hand opens up and you say, God, you know what? I really believe you've got a better plan for this than I do. I really believe, God, that you can do more with it. You see, friends, you know what this is, this principle? Resurrecting everything. This is, the, this is the stewardship principle of your life. What are you going to do with what God's given to you? Do you think you own it or do you think God owns it and he's given it to you to manage it? What is it? You know, someday we'll stand before God and if you're, if you're a Christian and you've been saved by the grace of God, there will be only one question on the test as you stand before God that day. He's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? It's a one-question thing. And you're going, to have to give a, you're going to have to give an account for, did you hold things in your hand and say, God, i got a better plan for it than you do? Or are you going to be a person that has an open hand? And so, friends, as we, are going, as we go to this next thought, I just want to encourage you. Number one, go back to your roots and discover what it is that God's placed you on this earth to do. What is it? And don't despise that thing that God's put you here because nobody can do it the way you can do it. 
You know, too many Christians fall into the sin of comparison. You know, if I could, well, if I could speak like Pastor Bubba, or if I could speak like Pastor Josh, then I, then, then I would do something for God. Or if I could sing like, I don't know these ladies that were up here singing, if I could sing like this gal back here, man, if I could sing like her, then I would do something for God. And we fall into that if and then syndrome. Or we get into that then and when syndrome. You know, uh, when, when my kids get grown, then I'll do something for God. Or when I retire, maybe I'll do something for God then. And we fall into these traps. And we go through our whole life. It's like, it's like going to a buffet and going down the whole line and get to the end and we never put anything on our tray. We kept putting it off. God, if I could just sing like that, or if I could just teach like that, or if, if I could administrate like that, then I would really, if I had some money, I would really give. God says, start with what's in your hand. Start with what you have. God just need, he doesn't need another Pastor Bubba. He just needs you to be the best you that you can be. And if you will accomplish that, I'm going to tell you, there's no limits for OSC this year in 2018. There's no limits for your life this year. If you will become the best you that you can be, then listen, I hear pastors fall into this trap sometimes. Man, if I just had some people with money in my church, then I, we could do something. Listen, I've never heard Pastor Bubba say that, by the way. I want to tell you, if you believe that the Apostle Paul wrote under the anointing, then what you've got to believe tonight is that everything that's needed, if you believe 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans 12, Ephesians, if you believe that the things that he wrote there, you've got to believe that all the parts are already here in the church. What we need is for you to be the best you that you can be. And when we all come together and we're hands and we're the feet and we're the mouth and we're the ears and, and, and all that comes together, friends, listen, there's nothing that will stop this church from exploding. There's nothing that will stop your life. I'm going to tell you, blessings will begin to chase this church. Blessings will begin to chase you like you wouldn't believe. Third thing here tonight I want to give to you is this. Number three. You've got to listen for God's leadings in your life. You've got to listen for God's leadings in your life. And I think this is hard. By the way, I think number two is the hardest. To get every, or number one, number two. I think get everything on the altar is the hardest thing you'll ever do. I really do. But if you can ever get, I don't think a lot of Christians, I don't think many Christians even get to that, honestly. But if you can get everything on the altar and you can get it settled, then here's the third thing. Listen for God's voice. Listen for those small leadings in your life. And I'll tell you, I really believe that that's a hard thing to do because of the speed of our culture and our society. There are so many things coming at us trying to get our attention that it is so hard. It is so hard to hear the voice of God. I mean, did anybody get the real message of the first half of the Super Bowl Sunday night? Did you see the subliminal message? You know what it was? None of the other ads are possible. They can't be effective unless they have tied. You know, the, the old spice guy that's sitting there on the horse? His pants would be dirty if it wasn't for tied. These messages are... 
are sublimed. They're coming at us all the time. I was up in New York a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was preaching at a church in Brooklyn, and I was over in Manhattan. I had one day uh, off, to, and so I was down there at Times Square, 42nd Street, and I was a little lost. I wanted to find the E-Train because I wanted to go to Lower Manhattan. I wanted to go down to the 9-11 Museum, and, and so I'm looking around to find the E-Train, and I saw these two guys on the street, and I said, hey, where's the subway, the E-Train, so I can get to Lower Manhattan? And he said, sir, do you see that sign over there? And it was this big sign that said subway, and it was blinking. Well, let me tell you something. There was about 150 signs on that street that were big, and they were blinking. That's the way our lives is. Did you know that, uh, that study showed just recently, this year it's come out, that, listen, that in one day we have 30,000 thoughts to go through our minds. And you women thought that your husband's only thought about one thing. <laughs> 30,000 thoughts. 30,000 thoughts in one day. So how is it, if we got all these thoughts coming at us, how is it that we're going to discern the voice of God? How is it that we're going to hear God's voice when it's, so many things that are coming at us. How do we discern it? Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My, my sheep, those that are close to me, those that are my followers, those that are Christ's followers, they listen to me. I think it's hard to do that. I think it's, sometimes it's hard to discern Anybody besides me have a hard time discerning sometimes the voice of God? You know, because here's what happens. I get by myself sometimes, and I start telling me good things. I'm not the only self-talker in this room. I'm just the only one that will admit it. I start saying, man, Glenn, you're, you're a champion. You're, you're, you're blessed. You're favored. I sound like Joel Osteen. Man, I'm telling you. I'm smiling. You're favored, you know. I'm telling myself good things. And, and I... Self-talk can sometimes push out the voice of God. Sometimes others' talk can push out the voice of God. You get that? You know, when I was pastoring, it was amazing to me how many people had a word from the Lord for me. You know, and what I noticed was that after a while, it was always their agenda. You see, I believe that people can have a word of the Lord for somebody else, but it better affirm what you're already sensing in your heart. But other voices can push it out. They can push it out. From, when, uh, when I first started traveling, I was working as vice president, uh, vice president of John Maxwell's organization. And I was working in a church in Maslin, Ohio. And I was doing a capital campaign up there. I was consulting with them. And my son had heard me talk about Grace Church up there. And so one, one early morning, I got up. I was getting my suitcase packed. I was on my way to Ohio, and I looked in there, and my son had put a note and $100 in my suitcase. And I looked at the note, and it said, Dad, don't try to talk me out of this. This is for your church in Ohio. All the money he'd been saving from his birthdays and his allowance, he'd put it all in there for me to give to a church for him. And he knew, I would say, oh, son, you know, the church, they're going to be okay without your, your $100. He said, Dad, don't talk me out of it. Sometimes people will try to talk you out of the blessings of God. 
They've got these agendas. Listen, the closer you get to God, the more people will try to talk you out of the blessings of God. Because you know what it does? It shows up how far they've drifted away from God. And so sometimes you just have to be aware of other voices. And then listen, sometimes it's the voice of the accuser. And you know what he does? He's never had an original thought in his life. But I'm going to tell you, he can bring back things from your childhood where some, maybe some football coach said, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be any good. Maybe you had a parent that said, you're, you're never going to do anything. You can't do anything right. You, you just can't get anything right. And you know what? The enemy will bring those thoughts back up to you. So how can you push those away and hear the voice of God? Well, I think Jesus gave us a clue. And uh, I think it's in Matthew, uh, Mark, chapter 1, verse 35. And he said this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he went to a place of solitude and prayed. You see, sometimes, guys, I get in my car, and that's kind of my place to pray. But when you're in Atlanta traffic, I'm going to tell you, you're not, you're not really digging in in prayer. You know, sometimes God just wants you to go to a place of solitude, a solitary place, and slow everything down in your life, take a deep breath. And when you do that, you can begin to hear God's voice as he begins to speak to you. Because most of the time, it's a still, small voice. And you have to listen. And you can't have a, a 30,000 thoughts going through your mind at that moment to hear God's voice. But there's a fourth thing you've got to get. And I'm going to wrap it up real quick now. Number four is this. You've got to recommit to being obedient to what God is saying to you. It's not just, how many of you know it's not just enough to hear the voice of God, but you've got to be obedient to what God is saying to you. I remember one time I was... Uh, I was uh, still working for John at this time, and I was at a Chick-fil-A. You guys know what Chick- Do you have Chick-fil-A's around here? And so I was sitting in this Chick-fil-A, and the Spirit of God, as he speaks to me, it wasn't, a out, it wasn't an audible voice. I don't even want to hear an audible voice from God. It would scare me to death. Um, but God spoke to me, and, 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 and as honestly as I can say, standing here tonight, friends, I'm going to tell you, God said this to me. Give that lady over there $20. There was this little Hispanic lady that she always cleaned. I'd, I'd go to this place three or four times a week to eat, and, and she would always be cleaning there, and she always smiled. She was about four foot eleven, and, and she would always be she always had a big smile on her face, and she'd come by and she'd put a mint up there on your table, you know, say, "Hey, can I get you a refill and your drink?" And on this day, God spoke to me and said, "Give her 20 dollars." And friends, I want to tell you, 20 dollars was not a big deal. John Maxwell took very good care of me. Back in those days, it was not a big deal. A little bigger these days, but back then it wasn't a big deal. But here's what I did. I said, God, do you mind? You ever said that to God? Do you mind if I just finish my Chick-fil-A sandwich on wheat with no pickles and then give her the $20? And I didn't hear anything. So I'm assuming no voice, you know, we're good, you know, so about 15 minutes later, I finished my sandwich, and I went over. I know the guy that is the manager, the operator of this store. And I said, hey, tell me something. Where's the little lady that cleans up around here all the time? He said, she just got on the metro 10 minutes ago. She just checked out, and she's gone home. 
You see, friends, listen. That My delayed obedience became disobedience in my life. I had heard the voice of God. I got that right. You know, it's okay to get number three right, but if you don't get this fourth thing, and you're walking it out in obedience, you're not going to have this foundation to see the blessings of God chasing you in 2018. It's kind of like in Joshua, I think it's the sixth chapter. You can check me on this later. In Joshua, the sixth chapter, God gives instructions to the, the people of Israel, to Joshua. He says, you're going to take Jericho, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk around the city six times. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times, and you're going to be quiet for six of them. Then on the seventh time, you're going to raise a voice of praise. You're going to beat the tambourines. You're going to lift your voices. You're going to make a great praise unto me. And when you do that, the wall's going to fall. Now, friends, listen. Here's what I believe. I believe on that seventh time around, on that seventh day, if they hadn't done what God said for them to do, I don't believe the walls would have fallen. You see, disobedience would have got in the way of God's plan for the people of Israel. You see, we got to get this right. When you hear the voice of God speak, and you get into those places and you hear His voice, walk it out in obedience. Don't just sit on it. But do what it is that God is saying to you to do. Because it doesn't count until you get that part right. The foundation's not solid until you get that part of it right. And then this goes to the last thing. Friends, if you're going to see God's blessings chasing you in 2018, this is the last thing. You've got to leave room for the miraculous in your life. You've got to leave some room for the miraculous in your life. In Luke, the ninth chapter, there's a story. In fact, it's recorded in all four Gospels. It's recorded in Mark 6, recorded in Matthew, it's recorded in John. In fact, it must be the most popular story because it's the only story that's recorded in all four Gospels. And it's the time when, this, uh, when Jesus is teaching on this hillside and it's getting to the end of the day and there's no golden arches close by. And so... Jesus looks at his disciples and says, uh, I mean, in fact, they had just come to him and said, hey, you know, Jesus, you need to shoo these people away. It's getting down to the end of the day. We don't have anything to give them to eat. It's going to be a riot around this place. Get rid of them. And Jesus said, why don't you feed them? Why don't you feed them? And so they begin to go up throughout the people, listen, and they found one little boy. You remember the story? And he had a couple of sardines, and he had a few muffins. And they got that little boy's lunch, and they took it to Jesus, and he multiplied it and fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Here's the, here's the real point I want to get to you about this story, friends. I don't really believe that little boy was the only one that had a lunch that day. I believe there was probably some others there that probably had some snicker bars stuck back up under their, you know, their little cloaks and stuff, and uh, maybe had some mounds and some almond joy stuck up under But listen, you know what made that little boy the hero that day? It wasn't even that he had the best lunch. It's that he made his lunch available. What I want to say to you tonight, friends, is this. As you discover what it is that God has planned for your life, whatever that is, maybe he's called you to be the best teacher in the public schools that you can be and be, a, be just a, a representative of him there. Maybe he's called you to be the best small group leader or or like this young lady, the best vocalist that she can be or this drummer, man, with all that enthusiasm tonight. Man, it was awesome. 
I love drummers. I started out as a drummer, so I have a heart for drummers. I love drummers. But no matter what it is, friends, listen. Once you discover that and you begin to just just steward that gift of God and you're hearing God's voice and you're walking out in obedience, would you leave a little room in your life for the miraculous and allow God to take your lunch, those gifts, whether you're a one, two, or five talent person? Remember that story in Matthew 26? It doesn't matter if you're one, two, or five. Listen, don't be like the one and bury it. If you got a gift, use it. Be like the one that had two. And, God, and, and, and it was doubled. Or the one that had five and it was doubled. Let God multiply what it is that he's placed in your heart. That vision, that dream, the passion that drives it. Would you allow God to come along tonight and to multiply and do the miraculous until all of a sudden, friends, you're becoming so effective that everywhere you look, blessings are chasing you. Favor is chasing you. Prosperity is chasing you. It's coming at you so fast, it, it is just making your head swim. Would you do that? But you've got to start with this foundation. I want you to just bow your heads with me tonight. And, and friends, I want to tell you, I never preach a message that I don't give people the opportunity. If you, if, you, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I know this is the core tonight. Only the core would come out uh, when it's this bad. I know this weather, it's monsoon season in Louisiana. I get it. But I want to just ask you, with everybody your head's about, if you don't know Christ tonight, or maybe even if you're kind of what we used to talk about when I was a young boy, maybe you're kind of backslidden. Maybe you, you once really did grasp hold of the things that God had for you, but maybe it's got a little cold in you, and the things of life, just the mundane things of life, it just kind of overshadowed until it's beginning to get cloudy. And it's kind of fading. You say, I just really want to come back. I really want to come back to the Lord tonight. I really want to, to come back in to what it is that God has for me. If there's anybody you don't know Christ or you just know in your heart that there, this is a time that you need to recommit yourself on this first Wednesday night. Would you just slip up a hand and say, hey, Glenn, I want you to pray for me tonight. I really want to, I really want to focus back in. Yes, sir. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I see your hand. All the way in the back. God bless you. Others, just slip up a hand. I promise you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. But I do know this. Jesus said that if you're ashamed of me, I'll, you know, when you stand before the Father, it's not going to be good. Would you just lift up a hand? Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. If you lift up, a, if you had, if you did lift up a hand, now would you just put it back up and just hold it up just for a second? Nobody's going to see it but me. Yeah. Listen, I want to tell you something. Thank you for taking the first step to saying, God, I want to recapture that vision. I want to be everything you made me to be. God, I want to resurrender. I really want to put it on the altar tonight. I want to give it all to you. Thank you for lifting those hands. I don't know, maybe some of you it was for salvation. Maybe some of you it's just for a time of recommitment. Well, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Okay, you can put those hands down. Now I'm going to ask some of the rest of you tonight. If you've allowed the, your, your heart's right, you know you've got a great relationship, but you kind of let the dream fade a little bit. And it's just not as clear as it used to be. You're not hearing the voice of God like you once did. 
But you say, Glenn, tonight, I really want to get back to that strong foundation. I want to see those blessings chasing me. I want to see the power of God working through my life. If there's anybody in this room tonight, you say, that's me. Glenn, would you pray for me? We just slip up a hand real quick all over the room. Yes, God bless you. Lots of you tonight. Thank you. You put your hands down. Okay? Great. Father, we just come to you tonight. Pastor, would you just join me up here? Father, we just come to you tonight. Lord, I thank you for this, this mighty man of God. And Lord, I thank you for these that have raised a hand tonight, many across this room. They mean business, and they know that in 2018, you mean business with them. And so, God, I ask right now that wherever they are sitting in this room, God, that you would just begin to touch them as you already have. But, God, begin to bring clarity to them right now. Holy Spirit, just begin to work in their lives. Touch them right where they are right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.